guys, we're going to have a chance to worship together now, so we invite you to stand up wherever you are and sing along with us. beside us he's going in front of us and guys we're going to keep singing about that now because we know that that's not going to stop so we invite you to join us as we keep going
God, we know that in your presence, God, we know that that's the best place that we can be surrounded by you to feel you move. God, we know that you've done it and that you're gonna do it again. God, we know that what we see is like nothing we've ever seen before. Guys, we're gonna sing a song about that now together that's new. We invite you all to join us. Do you see what I see? What I see Oh yeah I see lightning I hear thunder Feel that Something stirring Six feet under Ten things coming back to life again I believe there's about to be Another resurrection Yeah and I see signs and I see wonders And I see birds of living colors Dead things coming back to life again I believe there's about to be another resurrection Resurrection So come alive Wait
Jesus is risen. He is alive. We celebrated that he came back to life on Easter. He's still alive right now, and we're still celebrating. And I'm so glad that you're here to celebrate with us. Welcome to Passion Community Church. I'm Mark Tapscott, your online campus pastor. Thanks for spending an hour with us today. You can see me or any one of our chat hosts if there's a way that we can serve you today. You can have a private direct chat with us by using the prayer button, or you can submit a connect card. That lets us know that you're here and how we can help you connect with God and our church. So just let us know how you would like us to contact you, and we'll get in touch with you right away. You know, there are opportunities right here online for you to serve. We have people on our dream team that serve as chat hosts. They greet you and they pray for you and make you feel welcome each week. We have people who help with our social media and they keep our pages and content up to date. Then we have those who serve in the technical area to make sure that things run as smooth as possible. Now, if you'd like to learn more about these opportunities, you can reach out to me by email at mark.tapscott at pccwire.net. You know, there's so much happening around here, and we want to help you find your next right step. But there's one thing that we encourage everyone to do, and that's to discover your purpose. Because when you do, then you can know how you can make a difference here. So check out this video to learn more. We love what happens at Passion Community Church on Sundays. But did you know that's just the tip of the iceberg? Find out more about our church and all that's possible for you through Growth Track. Growth Track is a class hosted at all of our campuses and online. Why come to Growth Track? You'll meet some people and knowing some folks around you makes Sundays way more fun. You'll find out how and why we built this church just for you and why that matters. You'll learn more about yourself. How often do you get to do that? As in, what are your strengths? What are your passions? What makes you tick? And best of all, you'll discover the many ways PCC can serve you, serve your family, and help you serve those around you. So what are you waiting for? Step into Growth Track and discover all that's possible as you grow in your faith here at PCC. Check out our website for upcoming classes at your campus. You can take the first two steps online, on demand. Then when you're ready for step three, I will arrange a Zoom meeting to complete that step with you. So go ahead and sign up on our website today. Now, as that video said, we love what happens here on Sundays. On these days, we're focused on our mission to reach people who don't go to church. But then at some point, we move from being people who don't go to church to people who do go to church. So we're going beyond Sundays to offer Fourth Wednesdays. Now, this is a monthly worship experience for the whole family. Everyone is welcome, as always. And those of us who already are churchgoers get an opportunity for an extended worship experience and a slightly different style of teaching. Now this month is going to be at our Riverside campus. So take advantage of this opportunity to visit some of our other campuses if you live nearby so you can see where and how God is at work because he is. You see, God guided us to go beyond Sundays this year and he's working through all of the activity at our campuses on Sundays and also during the week. Now, hundreds have worshipped at our first two Fourth Wednesday experiences, and God is using these opportunities to deepen His relationship with His people and to encourage and renew those of you who faithfully give here and serve at our church. And you're part of it. Whether you've been to a Fourth Wednesday yet or not, you make it happen with your financial gifts. So thank you. Now, anyone can give safely through our website or through our app, or just click on the link in the chat. And as we take time to give our gifts to God today, let's pray for his blessing on them. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for all the things that we see happening uh, around our church because, God, you're right in the middle of all of them. And, uh, God, we just pray that people will get connected to you and discover their purpose so they can learn how they can make a difference. And, God, as we give gifts today to uh, the church and to you, uh, God, we just ask that you bless them 
to help us to uh, learn more about you and bring you glory. And we, say, we ask all this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, let's go on back into our service now that's already in progress. with his people, us, and to encourage and renew those of you who faithfully give and serve and come to church here. You're a part of this. None of this happens without your partnership and without God leading through it. Whether you've been to Fourth Wednesdays yet or not, you make it happen with your financial gifts. So thank you. If you haven't joined us in that yet, if you haven't given here yet, it's, it's okay. But why don't you come and see all the amazing things God is doing? And anyone can give safely through our website, through our app, or in the black boxes in this room and in the atrium at any time. But for the next moment, I would just like to pray to God, thank him for all he has already done and what he has yet to do. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that you use us, that you're with us, that you promise to never leave us. God, so when we give today, Lord, we can do it with confidence and we do do it with confidence, knowing that you can multiply it and do whatever you want with it. Lord, and ultimately that is all we want, that you would use our lives, our church to fulfill your purpose and your mission. It always has been and always will be all about you. So thank you for the opportunity to serve and go where you go. It's your name that we do that boldly. Amen. I have a confession to make and it's bound to raise more than one eyebrow it's probably going to initiate more than one offended email and it's not that I'm trying to make anybody mad it's just that we tell the truth around here even when it comes to not so flattering reality so I have a confession to make are you ready I've been cheating on you and by that, what I mean is that every good church pastor knows that they should have an exclusive favorite day of the week. It ought to be Sunday. Church day is sort of prescribed for church leaders and preachers everywhere to be the overwhelming source of joy and anticipation. Somewhere, somebody decided that out of the seven days of the week, no worth their salt pastor would have any other day that would come close to bringing as much joy into their lives as this day should. Church people sometimes even call this day the Lord's Day. And the not so subtle but never spoken implication about that is that the other six days are not the Lord's days. So how on earth then could there be any other day that would rival this one? It should be my favorite day. And, and I love this day. Don't, don't get me wrong, I really do. But over the past few years, almost four years, I've been cheating on you. Fridays have become my other favorite day, my co-favorite day. Because most Fridays, all or some of my granddaughters descend on Engie and Papa's house. And we have so much fun, so much fun. Between the, the trampoline and the swing set and, and, and the reading books and baking and doing some crafts and taking long walks and sometimes doing a little fishing and running around the house and, and sometimes crashing for a well-needed nap, their need, not mine. And now that they're getting older, we get to have like real life, conversations together since Susan and I became grandparents four years and almost four years ago and and since we've had the blessing of being close with all four of our granddaughters we see them often we take lots of pictures and we talk about them all the time don't ask if you don't want to know 
because we want to tell you how amazing grandparenting really is. More importantly, more important than telling you, we'd like to show you from our inventory of millions of pictures. And it's not just true for me and Susan, and it's not just true for grandparents. See, most of us here today have something in our lives, something in your life that you love to talk about, something you're really excited about. Maybe it's something that's happening right now, like a current event. Maybe you got engaged or, or you just got married or maybe the wedding is approaching. In any of those scenarios and a hundred others, you tell your friends, right? You show off your ring, you publish the pictures. When you have a baby, when you get a new job, when you finally get the car you've always wanted, some people in our church lose your minds when hunting season comes. Or when the weather breaks and you can break out the golf clubs and you talk about that trophy buck or the eagle you shot, that's a golf term, not a hunting term. We get excited about the new business venture or the vacation destination or the and, and, and thousand other things that you might be excited about. And the question that I want us to consider today in the wake of Easter with the reality of the resurrection of Jesus fresh on our minds is are we at least equally excited about that? We came face to face with something that ought to change our lives more than anything else, including marriage and career and kids and yes, even grandkids. But while we talk about all those other things or whatever the thing is for you, while we talk about the thing, do we ever talk about the real thing, that one thing? that changed our lives or should have changed our lives more than anything else, the thing that we had with that encounter with Jesus, do we talk about that? And by we, what I really mean is you. In the wake of the Easter resurrection reality, as we unpack now the now what questions of it all, I want us to look at how you and I are supposed to be able to talk about our faith in a way that allows all the excitement of it without all the awkwardness and weirdness of spiritual conversations that, that seem to be stereotyped on the community of people who are supposed to be followers of Jesus. How do we do that? And to get there, I want us to look at what happens with this one guy in the Bible whose life was radically changed by Jesus too. It happens in John 9. He's the only one that tells us about this. He says, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples, the disciple just means closest followers, Jesus' closest followers, asked him, Rabbi, sometimes they called him that, it means teacher, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, this is a Jewish context. Jesus and his closest followers, they were raised Jewish. And, and the way that Jewish people, the way that Jewish thought reconciled life's struggles and misfortune that might come to somebody, they did that by blaming somebody. And in their thinking, specific suffering was always, always linked to specific sin directly. So, they, they would say, if, if you have some kind of uh, disability or some kind of uh, anguish in your life, some kind of trouble in your life, it's because of a sin somewhere. But you and I know, I mean, you know, we can just intuit deep down inside that our struggles just can't always be made that nice and neat. They can't be packaged that way. So who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It was an innocent question. It's what everybody would have asked. But Jesus answers like this, neither, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Jesus announces right here that God is going to do something good out of this guy's bad circumstance. And look, if you take this passage all by itself, if you pluck this out and don't put any other scripture or context around it, one could argue maybe that, that, well, what Jesus is saying here is that God wanted this guy to spend all of those years suffering and build up to this moment right here. 
If you take this passage like this, you can make it say that God made him blind for all those years just for this moment. But it seems clear to me, if you'll step back, if we'll step back and look at all of Jesus's other teachings about God's care and his love and his provision for his kids, that's you and me, it would be hard to make that argument. Instead, you'd have to say, well, God did not make this guy to be born blind. Again, taking all of Jesus's teachings together, I would argue that Jesus is saying, listen, this did not happen because of a specific sin, which he does say that, neither. It didn't happen because of a specific sin, but God is going to use this man and his situation to display God's power. God's gonna use this man and his situation to display God's power. And I want you to imagine with me for a minute because I like to live in the text. I wanna be inside the story. So imagine with me for a minute what this guy would have felt, what his emotions would have been triggered inside of him when he heard these words because his entire life, he had been taught that his blindness was somebody's fault. I mean, and he would have been labeled that way and identified that way. His whole life would have been defined not by his blindness, but by the the nebulous some kind of sin that was attached to it. So as a child, parents would keep their kids away from him. As an adult, no woman would ever consider marrying him. As a worker, somebody who just needed to eat, no employer would ever consider hiring him. He was dirty. They looked at him as cursed. He was like visible sin. Maybe he sinned while he was still in his mother's womb. Maybe his parents sinned and just passed the curse on to him. Who it was may have been in question, but what it was, that was super clear. This man was blind because somebody sinned. Now, imagine you'd been hearing that your whole life, and you'd been wearing these labels that weighed you down, like unclean and sinner and damaged second class, worthless. And you would hear people say, you know, on the side, they they didn't think he could hear, you know, at times they thought they were out of his earshot and they'd say things like, no, 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 don't, don't play with him. He might be contagious. Don't even get near him. Don't talk to him. Well, the guy had to eat, so he resorted to begging. He just begged. Having long been stripped of any dignity, He relied on pity in order to eat and maybe a couple of courageous family members who in the secret, you know, shadows of darkness might give him some level of human interaction. That was it. So when he heard those disciples, when they, when he heard them ask Jesus this question, who sinned, this man or his parents that he was born blind, you know, it, it made his head drop further if that was possible. His shoulders would have sagged his blind eyes would have filled with sorrow and regret for what he had no idea just for being born I guess so imagine it's hard for us to grasp the power of this moment imagine what he would have felt like when he heard Jesus's response who sinned his man this man or his parents Jesus says neither neither one guy's not blind because of somebody's sin it wasn't his fault it wasn't his parents fault in fact Jesus never really deals with the question except to make the most powerful incredible statement he says God's about to do something in this man's life that will point the whole world back to God I mean check this out this is what Jesus is saying this guy used to represent sin which is the opposite of God he's about to represent God which is the opposite of sin so this man, I mean, I, I see the scene. Imagine he, he's got to turn his head towards Jesus. He's got to be thinking, am I going deaf too? I mean, there's no way Jesus just said that. It can't be right. And then the most remarkable thing happens. Jesus sits down on the ground and he mounds up some dirt and sand. And John tells us Jesus then spit on the ground and he made some mud with the saliva And he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, imagine if this happened today to somebody you knew. I mean, how would you react? I mean, this guy who can now see 
Check this out. He's got to close his eyes to find his way back to his parents' house because he has no idea how to get there with visual landmarks. He's never seen them. The only way he's ever made this journey is in total darkness. So if this happened today, it seems predictable to me what, what it would be like. The guy gets home, he throws the door open, he yells, Mom, I can see, I can see. And she comes in the room and realizes that it's true and she cries and he cries and dad cries and they post pictures all over whatever social media feed they had. They'd be a YouTube sensation like overnight. Within seconds, the whole world would know. But that's not what happens to this guy. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man that used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was, but others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. So instead of getting tons of affirmation for this miracle, what he gets is skepticism. They question his identity. Is he really the same guy? They question that he was ever blind in the first place. Maybe he's just been faking all these years, which is complete silliness. They question if he can really see. Maybe he just pretends like he can see now, and he can't. You know, I bet that when he went in the pool, Jesus puts the mud on his eyes right and sends him into the pool. And he he begins to wash like Jesus told him. And imagine that the light begins to come into his eyes for the very first time. And he starts to see for the very first time. And, And at least as I see the story, I don't think he cares anything about what's on his face. So I don't think he finishes washing. It's not like he really cares about that. The only thing he cares about is that he can see. So I think he he hurries out of the pool, still with some of that mud on his face here and there, which is evidence of what Jesus has done. So they they ask him, "How, how then were your eyes opened? They demanded, demanded now. They're not smiling, not celebrated, not embraced, not joyfully accepted. They demanded an explanation. See, this did not fit into their worldview. You don't just watch, wash sin away. This wasn't about blindness. You were sinned, somebody sinned. That's why you were blind. People don't spit in the mud and put the mud spit on somebody's face and then they see all of a sudden that's not the way this happens so how were your eyes open they demanded and the man replied well the man they called jesus made some mud put it on my eyes told me to go to salome and wash and so i went and washed and then i could see seems simple enough the crowd though they're not buying it and they don't want to go astray so they they call in the religious leaders and, and they ask, the religious leaders ask how this guy gains his sight and, and he says exactly what happened. Well, Jesus told me to put mud in my, you know, to, Jesus put mud on my eye, told me to go wash and now I can see. But the Pharisees, they turn again to the blind man. What have you to say about Jesus? I mean, it was your eyes he opened and the man replied, well, he's a prophet. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind, give glory to God, which is their way of saying, stop lying. Give glory to God. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. You might not have caught this, but this man's experience recorded for us in the pages of John chapter 9 It has enormous and profound implications for you and me, especially, especially with Easter barely behind us. So I wanna unpack it at least briefly and I wanna talk about how it applies to our lives. To me, this is one of the cornerstone, most powerful stories in the whole Bible. And I always found it a little bit peculiar. I mean, if you read anything about Jesus, you know that he never has any problem, well, rarely has any problem healing people with just his voice. I mean, he just speaks it and they get well. Or sometimes his mind, he just thinks it and they get well. Occasionally, even just touching his clothes without his knowledge and people get healed. So why the mud? Why the spit? (laughs) This is the only time Jesus makes a, you know, like a soil saliva concoction. What's that all about really? 
Why didn't Jesus just command the, the guy to be able to see again? He could have done it. Or why not put his hand on him? Sometimes Jesus did that and command sort of the sight demon to come out, the blindness demon to come out, and the guy could see he could have done that. The, this guy who's blind, he had resolved that he was never going to see. He, he figured he'd be blind his whole life. He didn't even ask to be healed. So why didn't Jesus at least wait for the request? I've studied this story a lot. And I'm not saying that I'm sure I'm right about it, but I'm pretty sure I'm right about it. I think the mud wasn't really for this guy. I think it was for everybody else, including you and me. And it represents, the mud represents something really important, vitally important to the lives of people who say they're followers of Jesus. I think Jesus puts the mud in the guy's eye so that he would have evidence, not just that he could see, but to prove that Jesus is the one who made it happen. I bet he took some of that mud after it dried, and I think he kept it like it was worth a million bucks, probably put it on the mantle in his house or some safe place like, you know, so it was secure. Maybe he kept a piece of it in his pocket. See, it wasn't just that he could see. It was that Jesus made it happen. And like my grandkids or, or your wedding or your new job or your, the new baby or the upcoming epic vacation or whatever it is you talk about all the time, I bet this guy could not shut up about what Jesus had done in him. And, and I imagine they ask him, how'd this happen? You know, like as he, you know, he runs into people and somebody says, oh, I heard about you. You were the guy that used to beg. You were the guy that used to be blind. And now you can see, right? And he says, yes. And they say, how'd this happen? And he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out a piece of that dried, nasty mud. And he says, I don't really know how, but I do know who. See, I had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And what I can tell you is I was blind before him and now I can see. And so they asked the guy, you know, detailed questions about who exactly, who exactly is Jesus? And then the guy answers, ultimately, I don't really know. And I don't, I don't know the answer to all your questions. But I do know one thing. Like, I know one thing. I was blind, and now I see. You can imagine that people ask me spiritual questions uh, a lot. And maybe they ask you, maybe you get some spiritual questions from time to time. The questions I get are all good questions, like really good questions, seriously. Why do bad things happen to good people? How could a righteous, loving God who is also all-powerful let you know, terrorists you know, behead and torture people? Like how, how, how do you reconcile that? People will say to me, you know, explain the Trinity. Like I don't get the, you know, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit thing and and how can, how, how can God be everywhere at the same time? Like, how does that work? And, and what's heaven like? And is my dog there? And how old is the earth? And where are the dinosaurs in the Bible? And I get questions like this, all, these and literally a thousand other questions. And you know what my answer is? Man, I, I, don't, I don't really know. I mean, I can speculate. Look, I went to school for a long time, you know, I, I, I can try to understand the Bible as best I can. I think I'm pretty intimate with the Bible, but, but I, here's the bottom line. I, man, I don't, I'm not sure about a lot of things. I mean, that's just the honest answer. It's probably not, the, probably not the answer you're looking for, but I do know this. Like, I know this. I had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and he radically changed my life. That much I do know. And when people come face to face with the truth about Jesus, they have to ask the question, now what? Like, now what? Last week, and Pastor Angie Frame helped us to see that we have to decide. Like, you have to make a decision. You, if you come face to face with the proposition that Jesus was the Son of God, that he died and then defeated death through the resurrection. Like if somebody suggests that to you, you have to decide if, you, if that's real or not. And once you decide, if you decide to give your life to Jesus, if you decide to receive his gift of forgiveness in your life, 
and his gift of new life, that new life cannot be kept hidden inside of you. Like the best news you know, like the pictures of the ring or the grandkids or the wedding, like the stories about that epic trip, like the recounting of the memories that you made, like that hole-in-one you shot, like that lifetime trophy you brought home. You must put on display your faith in Jesus. We do this uh, as, as believers through baptism, believers' baptism, it's really important. We go public with our faith there, but that's not where it ends. We also must learn to share our faith with our own story. That's what John 9 is really about. This guy's story was that he had an encounter with Jesus, he was blind before it, and now he can see. What's your story? You have one, you know. The question is, does anybody else know? I grew up going to church because my parents were missionaries. We lived in Venezuela. Came back in 94, I believe. That's when I met this guy. I met him through a friend, through my roommate. 98. We waited eight months, I think, and were married in 99. When I was younger, my family, we weren't a church family. And um, quite frankly, at that point in my life, I thought people that did were kind of silly. We drifted pretty, I mean, I wanted to. I was trying to get him to go also. So we had our son, and um, our son passed away. Sorry. His name was James Michael. We called him Jamie. And uh, this is the toughest little guy I ever met. And it pulled me further away from God. At that time, it was hard for us because it, she knew the value of God. I didn't, and she was trying to lean into him at that point, and I was mad. And I, I felt so betrayed when I lost my son, and so I felt it drive a wedge between God and I and the hope of a relationship that she had. It made that even uh, more difficult. I remember being at the church, I mean the hospital, and going to the sanctuary down there and getting on my knees and praying. And it was the first time in my life I ever did anything like that. God was working in our lives. Even though he may not have seen it, I did. And then I got pregnant again with my daughter. And we needed a change. I wanted it to be better for her. She knew the whole time that God was what we needed. She wanted us to get into church. And I kept telling him, you know, let's try it out. And um, he was not really willing. Um, I didn't go in kicking and screaming just because I knew that would make a scene. But inside, I was. <laughs> when we went for the first time, I found that it was enjoyable enough to where I would consider going back again. And one of the friends that we had that attended the church, he invited me to a men's group. To get to me is my belly. And I wanted to go to this new restaurant. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll go give it a, a shot. And Chris, told him that I played drums. I don't even know how that came up. And I didn't play drums, but Chris threw me under the bus and the pastor somehow had convinced me to show up the next night to a worship team practice and meet our worship coordinator, who at the time was Sandra Moore, who is the pastor of PCC Aylet now. It was a few weeks after I had been going and somehow Sandra Moore had convinced me that I was ready to, to be on the platform on Sunday. And I remember sitting there in the drum box and I was so nervous and I remember just saying a prayer to God. I said, man, I'm here, you got me here. I don't know how I got here so fast because I was just sitting there like, man, I, 
Four weeks ago, I was arguing with my wife to come here, and now I'm sitting behind a drum set on this, the platform at this church, and I'm nervous, and I prayed for God to give me a peace that the other people had, and just to give me what they had. And uh, God showed up for me in that moment and gave me just a calm and just a really sense of security that I may not be comfortable w with where I was at right then, but I was where he wanted me right then. And that was the first time in my life that I'd ever had that feeling that I knew I was right exactly where I was supposed to be. Even though I wasn't comfortable in my skin, um, I just, I wanted to soak that moment up that I was having with God right there. It just had totally changed my life. And God used Sandra Moore to totally change my life. I'm thankful for how God has used the church and the people at our church to help guide and hold me accountable and answer questions when I don't know the answer and I'm struggling and uh, just the, the people that he has put in my life to help me. And uh, I know that it's all beautifully orchestrated by him and I'm just I'm thankful for it and thankful that I get to be a part of it. I'm Audrey Reyes, and I'm just one. And I'm Mike Reyes, and I'm her just one. <laughs> the journey towards faith often involves multiple people who are links in the chain. Now, Mike named three people, his wife, Audrey, and his friend, Chris, and his pastor, Sandra. But there were other people in his journey as well, and each one of those people bore in their own way a witness, a testimony, if you will, not to some high theological concept, but simply to what Jesus had done in their lives. It wasn't just about church. It wasn't primarily about church. It was about their story of life change because of Jesus. The man in John chapter 9 he could say, look, I don't know a bunch of stuff, but I know this. I was blind, now I see, and it was Jesus who made that happen. And that experience, like other experiences, it shaped him. You know, some experiences, they define who you are. Having Susan in my life as my, my life partner, my best friend, ministry partner, all the things, having her in my life for 33 years, it hasn't just shaped me, it's defined me, changed me, healed me, made me better than I am. Raising three very different kids and seeing them journey into adulthood, that has defined me. Now getting to know the lives of my grandchildren, that has defined me. And so here's the point, when people get to know me, we don't travel very far down the road before, before you learn about these critical things who are part of who I am. But there's also the experience I've had with Jesus Christ. And that experience is also a central part of who I am. I am not the same person that I was before I had an encounter with Jesus, before I dedicated my life to Jesus. And there's evidence, there's evidence like, like the mud that was surely this guy kept some of. There is hard evidence that your encounter with Jesus Christ has changed you. Your own healing, spiritually at least, but maybe even emotionally healing uh, or, or even physical healing. You, the healing of the relationships around you, the healing of your soul, the restoration, maybe the discovery of your life purpose, why you're even here, the change in you as a person, from your temptations to your actions and behaviors and choices, the way that you think, the way that you see the world, many of those things, maybe more than those things, were changed as a result of the experience you had with Jesus. And now it's clear. You were blind, now you see. So like the man born blind in John 9, people around us, people around you, if for, for, especially for those of you who are followers of Jesus, they're watching. Their eyebrows are raised. They know you're not the same. Easter changed us. 
Jesus' encounter with that man that day happened when Jesus was physically here. But because of the resurrection, we are able to encounter the resurrected Jesus Christ who has changed us just as tangibly as a man who was born blind but now can see. And we have to invite people to hear our story in a way that's not awkward or weird or overbearing or threatening, but just invite them to understand why we're so different now than what we were before. Jesus changed me for the better. Jesus altered my life. He altered my destiny. Why wouldn't I want to invite other people to know the good news that has come to me? You have a story. You have a testimony. And the world will be better when we all learn to tell it. This is my testimony from death to life. Cause grace rewrote my story. I'll testify. By Jesus Christ, the righteous, I'm justified. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. This is not just Tanner's testimony. It's yours too. Because you have a story. For every person here who has given their life to Jesus, you should also be able to bear witness to the change that has happened in you, even if that change is ongoing. So let's do this together. Let's declare it together. Our testimony from death to life, because grace rewrote my story and your story and your story and your story and your story and all of our stories and together, we testify. Let's sing. This is my testimony from death to life. Cause grace rewrote my story. I'll testify. By Jesus Christ the righteous, I'm justified. This is my testimony. This is our testimony. Oh yeah. We get to come together and proclaim that, y'all. Off of Jesus, come on. Come together, sons and daughters. Bow with blood and washed in water. Sing the praises of the Spirit, Son and Father. Our God will finish what He started. That's moving in our life. Our God will finish what He started. This is my testimony from death to life Cause grace rewrote my story I'll testify By Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified This is my testimony This is my testimony dead and you're not done greater things are still to come oh i believe if i'm not dead then you're not done y'all can sing that to him that's right because greater things are still to come oh i believe if i'm not dead then you're not done you're not done you're not greater things are still to come oh i my story I'm gonna testify by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified sing it to a quote this is my testimony oh I'm alive this is my testimony 
Grace has rewritten your story, then it's time to testify, to declare. You have a story, a testimony that somebody else needs to hear. So make sure you check out Brian's follow-up video on the website this week. And if you're ready to go public with your faith and declare that Jesus is your Lord, then sign up for baptism. You can do that on our website or just click on the link in the chat. Hey, thanks so much for being here today. We'll see you next Sunday for another answer to the question, now what? We'll see you then. Yeah, I'm living the life